Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Genesis, the 18th chapter, if you will. Genesis chapter 18. We've had three lessons on our overview of the book of Genesis. The first section is Genesis 1 through 11, the chapters, and it had to do with the creation, the fall, the flood, the Tower of Babel, and all the men, all the people involved in that. We had Adam and Eve, we had Cain and Abel, we had uh, Enoch and Methuselah and Noah, and uh, then we had Nimrod with the Tower of Babel. The first, ha- first section of this division of the book was chapters 1 through 11. And the second division of the book, chapters 12 through 50, there are 50 chapters in Genesis, covers the remainder of the book, and it has to do with four men. And we pointed out these four, and we've dealt with Abraham somewhat in our third lesson. And so uh, the four men that you'll find in chapters 12 through 50 are Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph especially, and there are others that are surrounding their lives, but basically the whole history and the record of the book of Genesis could be summed up in these men that we've spoken of. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph in the last chapters from 12 through 50. Now then, we taught from chapter 12 down through uh, 17, the first part of uh, our lesson concerning Abraham, and the remainder of the lesson concerning Abraham will cover chapters 18 through, or down into 25, where we find the death of Abraham. Now, I want you to notice that as we deal with Abraham, we'll deal with situations in his life, various things that happened in his life, and uh, we won't try to completely uh, avoid any uh, all detail, but we'll have to give you some as we study these chapters. Tonight, our purpose would be to give you an overall view of the last part of Abraham's life. And then uh, in our next lesson, we'll try to take up Isaac, and then a couple of lessons take up uh, uh, Joseph and see uh, Isaac and then Jacob and then Joseph and, and sum up the whole of the book. We've had to, uh, we have taught, I should say previously, the whole book of Genesis, and it took 40 lessons. So you can see in studying it in detail uh, how much you would have to, to have to cover 40 lessons with the 50 chapters. In fact, it crowds it to do that and go into detail. But we're not trying to do it that way. We're trying to give uh, everyone an overview of, of the content of the book and yet have some detail so that you'll call it to mind. If I just go through it and give you the topics, you wouldn't know anything about what was happening to any of these individuals. So we won't, we'll at least give you some of the detailed study. We'll read as hurriedly as we can, comment as briefly as we can upon some of the things, and try to give you... Uh, what we find beginning with the 18th chapter concerning Abraham. Now then, if you turn to chapter 18 of Genesis, beginning with verse 1, it says, The Lord appeared unto unto him in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground. We find here that Abraham gives a gracious reception to these uh, three men. It says the Lord appeared to him. Evidently, the Lord with these two angels, we know that one stayed with him later on and communed with him concerning the judgment that was about to come upon uh, Sodom and Gomorrah in the latter part of the chapter. So he says he remained still in the presence of the Lord, and the other two uh, departed. So we find that uh, these were probably angels, 
that appeared to him, and uh, the Lord himself being the angel of Jehovah in the Old Testament. In verse 3 it says, And said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. Let a little water, I pray thee, be fetched, and wash your uh, feet, and rest yourselves under the tree. If you notice that Abraham says, Rest yourselves under the tree. All through the Old Testament, we could give you a message on the tree and how from the Garden of Eden on down it speaks of the cross of Christ. And the tree speaks, speaking of the cross of Christ, uh, we would have to comment that it is there that rest is to be found. For every believer, we find our rest and peace at the cross of Christ. If you drop down to verse 8, you'll find, let me read verse 8 briefly. It says, He took butter and milk and the calf which he had dressed and set it before them and stood by them under the tree and they did eat. So there was not only rest under the tree, there was communion, there was food, there was fellowship under the tree. Eating is symbolical of communion. And the believer finds the cross of Christ is the basis and ground of our fellowship with God. You know, we don't have any reason to have fellowship with God except through the uh, preciousness of the cross of Christ. And we know even the Lord's Supper refers us back to Christ's death and uh, the shedding of his blood and, uh, and his uh, sacrifice of his body. It says in verse 5, And I will fetch a morsel of bread and comfort ye yourselves, or your hearts rather, after, after that ye shall pass on, and uh, for therefore are ye come uh, to your servant. And they said, So do as thou hast said. And Abraham hastened unto the tent, unto Sarah, and said, Make ready quickly. I want you to notice these words, words hasten quickly, and he ran, and he hasted in the next few verses. He really was anxious to entertain uh, the Lord and to be uh, of a, and to show fellowship with the Lord here. It says, He hastened to the tent unto Sarah and said, Make ready quickly three measures of fine meal and knead it and make cakes upon the hearth. And Abraham ran into the herd and fetched a calf tender and good and gave it unto the young man and he hasted to dress it. And he took butter and milk and the calf which he had dressed and set it before them and he stood by them under the tree and they did eat. He wanted this fellowship. Uh, with the Lord, and you and I should desire it too. And then in verse 9 it says, And they said unto him, Where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent. He said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life, and lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. Remember we talked about Hagar having a son and Ishmael earlier, and how that she got a, a little hasty in her actions and tried to bring to pass the son for Abraham in a way that was not pleasing to God. But anyway... God had promised a son, and this is the uh, renewal of that. It says, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door uh, which was behind him. Now Abraham, Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, uh, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child which am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? In other words, was it too hard for God to work a miracle and give Abraham and Sarah a son in their old age? He says, At the time appointed I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Then Sarah denied, saying, I laugh not, for she was afraid. And he said, Nay, but thou didst laugh. So we find that the promise of Isaac here to Abraham and Sarah. You know, the birth of 
of Christ is foreshadowed in what happened to Isaac. First, there was the promised seed of a son, and Jesus was the promised one that was to come. And then there was a lengthy interval between the promise and the fulfillment of that promise. In fact, I think it's about 25 years uh, from when the first promise was made until it really happened. And in Abraham's life, that would be a long time. As far as Jesus is concerned, it was of 700 years or so, depending upon which prophets you look at, Isaiah or Malachi or uh, uh, Micah or whichever one. But at least Isaiah's prophecy of the birth of Christ would be about 700 years before Christ was born. So it was a lengthy interval. It says, Shall I of a surety bear a child? So Christ, it was very sure that he would be born. It was a promise of surety. And he was named before his birth. His name would be Isaac. At the appointed time he was to be born. So Christ was born at the fullness of time. God sent forth his son. It was a miracle birth. So was that of Jesus. To bring about the virgin birth took a miracle. And then he was named by the Lord before any of it ever happened. And so was Jesus. So all of it is a picture of the birth of Christ. Now, in the latter part of this chapter, we'll uh, give you something else that we find here concerning Sodom and Gomorrah. After this promise was made of a son, verse 16, And the men rose from thence and looked toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of earth shall be blessed in him? says, I've made my promise to Abraham. He's going to fulfill the promise. He's going to have the son. And in him shall all families of the earth be blessed. In other words, through Abraham and through his seed, Jesus would come. In fact, Paul refers to that. If you want a verse of Scripture, I don't know. I said it wasn't detailed, but I will probably. But in, uh, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 16, it says this, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not unto seeds as of many, but as, a, as of one, and to thy seed which is Christ. So you see, when God promised not only Isaac, he was reaching forth and promising Abraham the Lord Jesus Christ. Ultimately, there are three verses of Scripture that you need to keep in mind. Genesis 3.15 John 3.16 and Galatians 3.16. Genesis 3.15 is the promise first of the seed of the woman, right? And uh, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And then Galatians 3.16 tells us that this promise that was made to Abraham was ultimately uh, fulfilled in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is through Him that all families of the earth shall be blessed. Now then, so back, you have Genesis chapter 18 now. Let's go on. It says uh, in verse 19, For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. Notice, God uh, counted Abraham as a faithful man. He says, I know that he will command his children, his household after him. He knew him to be a good father, and he says, I can depend on him. And so God would not hide from Abraham that which we, he was about to do in destroying the cities of the plain. And so it says in verse 20, And the Lord said, Because of the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it which is coming to me, and if not, I will know. You know when it says the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah. 
an ever-increasing noise it was that forced the attention of God and he wanted to see what was going on. And if, if this cry of Sodom in their wickedness, and we find that the, probably the, the cry of, uh, and the noise of all the sin and corruption that was going on there, if that got God's attention and he was willing to go down and see and look at, at that situation, and then he was uh, brought to the fact that he had to destroy those cities of the plain, I wonder what today when God looks down upon us, if it were not this day and age of grace, because we find the same things that are in our own nation, supposed to be a Christian and godly nation, that were in Sodom and Gomorrah. We'll get into that in a moment when we see what happens in the 19th chapter to Lot and to his family. So, no wonder God was aggrieved with what was going on. Their sin was very grievous. Verse 22, And the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom, but Abraham stood yet before the Lord. So evidently the angel of the Lord was one of these three men. In the Old Testament, a pre-manifestation of the person of Christ. And here's the appearance to Abraham. Remember, Jesus says, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced in it was glad. Not only in Genesis 22 when he offered up Isaac uh, as a burnt sacrifice, but I'm sure that God revealed himself and we've read a couple of times at least where God revealed himself to Abraham. And so it says, Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? For adventure there be fifty righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for fifty righteous that are therein? That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked and that the righteous should be as the wicked, that be far from thee, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Certainly he shall. And you know, when we think of the wickedness of the world today, when we think of what's going on in this world, and we think of, of when God judges, what's he going to do? I'll guarantee you this one thing, he's going to do right. And the ones that deserve punishment are going to get it. And everyone that deserves a certain degree of punishment will get that degree of punishment. Those that are have found shelter in Christ and redemption in Christ will be exempt from that judgment because of, of the fact that Jesus bore that judgment for us. And that's what you and I can be always grateful for, that Jesus bore the judgment that was due our sins, and we have found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Then it says in verse 26, And the Lord said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then uh, I will fare all the place for their sakes. And Abraham answered and said, Behold, now I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. Peradventure there shall be uh, lack or lack fit uh, five of the fifty righteous. Wilt thou destroy all the city for lack of five? And he said, If I find there forty and five, I will not destroy. You see, Abraham is bargaining with God to spare the city. I think Abraham is concerned about Lot and his family. And when he gets down to the bottom line, he couldn't even find the ten that he comes to. So he deals with him about 50 in verse 29, about 40. And God said he wouldn't destroy it for 40's sake. In verse 30, he said he wouldn't destroy it for 30's sake. Verse 31, he speaks of 20. And then verse 32 he said, O let the Lord, O let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak yet but this once. Peradventure ten shall be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for ten's sake. God said, If I find ten righteous, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way as soon as he had left communing with Abraham, and Abraham returned unto his place. You know what Abraham was counting on? Abraham was counting that 
Lot, at least, was godly enough to have brought all his family into uh, safety and refuge. And we find when the chips were down, he found that only those two daughters in the house were brought out. And they, his sons-in-laws outside that were married to his daughters in the city thought that he spoke to them as one that mocked. They, didn't, they wouldn't even believe him. And you see, Abraham was counting on the fact that Lot was at least godly enough to, to lead his own family to the Lord. But evidently it was not true. And so the angels had to deliver Lot and his wife and the two daughters. We'll read that in the next chapter. But see, Abraham, when he came down to ten, he thought, well, now I haven't made. Surely I'm going to at least get Lot out of there and all of his family. But it was not surely, was it? Had it not been for the grace of God in remembering Abraham and his pleading for Lot and his family, well, and his intercession, then Lot also would have perished in Sodom. But we're going to find some more things about that story in a moment. In chapter 19, there came two angels to Sodom at even. These are the other two. And Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. You know, if you look at the history of Lot, he made his choice. He chose the well-watered plain. And then he pitched his tent towards Sodom. He positioned himself to go there. And then he occupied a place in Sodom as sat in the gate. That's a position of maybe on the council or maybe the mayor of the city. We don't know. But this is a place of judgment in the Bible when it says they sat in the gate. And so he had a place of authority and responsibility. And then he ended up there in, in Sodom and would not even have enough testimony among the, the, in the city to bring his own, own family out. And so we find that it was a backslidden condition. And yet God, uh, for the sake of Abraham, and because Lot really inside was a saved man and a just man, and he'd fallen into sin, gotten away from God, but Lot was spared, and his wife and his two daughters. Let's look at this. In chapter 19, verse 1, he sat in the gate, Lot sat in the gate, and Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Behold, now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house, and tarry all night, and wash your feet, and you shall rise up early and go your ways. And they said, Nay, but we will abide in the street all night. They didn't want to stay with Lot. You know what? They knew the testimony that he had. They'd rather abide in the street all night. And he pressed upon them greatly, and they turned in unto him, and entered into his house, and he made them a feast, and did bake unleavened bread, and they did eat. But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round both old and young, and all the people from every quarter. And they called him to Lot and said unto him, Where are the men which came in to thee this night? Bring them out unto us that we may know them. And Lot went out at the door unto them and shut the door after him and said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. Behold, now I have two daughters which have not known man. Let me, let me I pray you, bring them out unto you. And do ye unto them as good in your eyes only unto these men do nothing. For therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. And they said, Stand back. And they said again, This one fellow came in uh, to sojourn, and he uh, will needs be a judge. Now we will deal worse with thee than with them. Their intention was to assault uh, Lot. And they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break the door. But the men put forth their hand, pulled Lot into the house to them, and shut the door. And they smote these angels, these men of God. They smote 
the men that were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves to find the door. Can you imagine these lustful, wicked, sinful men reaching forth to find the door even in their blindness? And it says in verse 12, And the men said unto Lot, Hast thou here any besides son-in-law and thy sons and thy daughters whatsoever thou hast in the city? Bring them out of this place. They said, This is a wicked place. We want you to get out of here, Lot. For we will destroy this place, because the cry of them is waxing great before the face of the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. Isn't it a terrible thing that men can lose their testimony by living an ungodly uh, life and compromising their convictions? And that's exactly where Lot ended up. And yet God's grace overlooks the actual outward doings of Lot in the New Testament. In the book of First and Second Peter, it says God delivered just Lot. He was justified in the sight of God vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. It says, This righteous man dwelling among them, it vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. So you see that in spite of the fact that he was down there and he lost his testimony and he couldn't even convince his own family of, of the truth that God was about to destroy this city, yet God delivered him out of it. And we can, we're going to see some more of it in just a moment. Okay, let's look at it. In verse 15, And when the morning arose, then the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, can you imagine him lingering? While he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand and upon the hand of his wife and upon the hand of his two daughters. You know, the Lord has just enough hand to deliver us. How many people does it take? One stood between Lot and his wife. That took two hands, didn't it? The other one stood between the two daughters. That took two more hands. God always has just enough hands to deliver us from evil. And He will do it. And so they had to lay hold. God had to literally lay hold upon Lot and bring him out. It says, The Lord being merciful unto him. And they brought him forth and set him without the city. It came to pass when they had brought them forth abroad that he said, Escape for thy life. Look not behind thee. Neither stay thou in all the plain, escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. And Lot said unto them, Oh, not so, my Lord. Is this a time to argue? I think not. Oh, Lot, Lot says, Not so, my Lord. You know what he wanted? Behold, now thy servant hath found grace in thy sight. He says, Since you've been so gracious as to deliver me. Look at this. And thou hast magnified thy mercy. We're in Genesis chapter 19, verse 19. And thou hast magnified thy mercy which thou hast showed unto me in saving uh, my life. And I, cannot escape, uh, and I cannot escape to the mountain, lest some evil take me, and I will die. Behold, now this, this city is near to flee into, and it is a little one. Oh, let me escape thither. Is it not a little one, and my soul shall live? Lot's still showing his character, isn't it? I still got to say, stay close by. You know, sometimes when people get so backslidden, they don't want to make a complete return to God. They just want to gradually be drug out until finally they get to the place that God has to just say, okay, not even a little city. But they were gracious to him, delivered him, little by little. And he said unto him, See, I have accepted thee concerning this thing also, that I will not overthrow this city for the which thou hast spoken. Haste thee, escape thither, 
I want you to notice this statement. It amazes me. For I cannot do anything till thou become thither. You see, Lot had to be uh, saved by grace, didn't he? Lot had to be uh, have eternal security. God says, I cannot do anything. These angels said, I can't even destroy the city. I cannot do anything till thou become thither. Someone talks about Christians being backslidden and doing this and that and the other, losing their salvation, saved one day and lost the next. Brother, if anyone ever had any characteristics that would show that they were uh, carnal and worldly and living in sin, Lot would have that characteristic. And yet, by the same token, God says, I will not do anything. I cannot do anything till thou become fit. He'll bring us out. Even if he has to drag us out, he's going to bring us out. But I'd rather not have to be drug out, hadn't you? I'd rather come out on my own than have to have God to show His grace and mercy and His power and deliver me with just absolute power and strength and actually pull me out of the city. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun was risen upon the earth when Lot entered into Zoar. Then, notice that word then. It was after Lot was gone, right? Then the Lord reigned upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah, brimstone and fire, from the Lord out of heaven, and he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and that which grew upon the ground. But his wife looked back from behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham, Jesus said, remember Lot's wife, right? He said, don't look back. They had told him not to look back. In verse 27, And Abraham got up early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord, and he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain. Behold, and lo, the smoke of the country went up as the smoke of a furnace, and came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain. Now look, that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities, of the, the cities in which Lot dwelt. Why was Lot delivered? Because Abraham interceded. And because God said that Lot was saved by grace too. And he said, My sheep hear my voice, and they'll never perish. I give unto them eternal life. In the physical sense, he was delivered. And in the spiritual sense, you and I are protected by the grace of God. And not only that, by the intercession. Abraham may be typical of the intercession of Christ and Jesus ever lived to make intercession for all that come unto God by him. And the Bible says, Therefore he is able to save them to the uttermost, seeing he ever liveth, to make intercession for them. Hebrews chapter 7. All right, let's go on with this. My, what a sad story in the last part of this chapter. But I'm going to read it to you. And the reason I'm going to read it is because you see not only Lot, but you see what strong drink, you see what drunkenness does, you see what... Wine. I, I preached a message not too long back on alcoholism. I have a tape of it in there in the study of some of you in the office if some of you want to check it out and listen to it. But I said, Wine is a mocker and strong drink is raging and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. And we spoke on alcoholism in the Old Testament and in the New and uh, the various details of it. But anyway, let's look at this. And I, I'm going to read this story. It may be embarrassing to some, but I'm going to read it and show you where the two wicked nations of the Ammonites and Moabites came from and the incest and adultery that was involved in bringing them forth. And who was involved in it? And Lot went up out of, the, out of Zoar and dwelt in the mountain, and his two daughters with him. For he feared to dwell in Zoar, and he dwelt in a cave, he and his two daughters. And the firstborn said unto the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man in the 
the earth to come in unto us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him that we may preserve seed of our father. They made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father, and he perceived not when she lay down nor when she arose. And came to pass on the morrow that the firstborn said unto the younger, Behold, I lay yesternight with my father. Let us make him drink wine this night also, and go thou in and lie with him, that we may preserve seed of our father. And they made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger arose and lay with him, and he perceived not when she lay down nor when she arose. Thus were both the daughters of Lot with child by their father. And the firstborn bare a son and called uh, his name Moab, the same as the father of the Moabites unto this day. And the younger she also bare a son and called his name Ben-Ammon, the same is the father of the children of Ammon. Ben means father of unto this day. And these are two cursed generations, and they came from this illicit, adulterous relationship and incest of Lot and his two daughters. And God said, The Moabites and the Ammonites shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. And so you see there was a curse upon them. Now Ruth the Moabitess found grace in the eyes of Boaz, didn't she? And that which was against the law he fulfilled for her and sealed to her salvation by grace or redemption as far as the physical thing is concerned and is typical of our spiritual redemption because we were under the curse of God's law too, right? We were the same as under the judgment of God and under the curse of God. And Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. He's our Boaz, as in the case of Ruth and Boaz in the book of Ruth. All right, let's go on. The 20th chapter, and Abraham journeyed from thence toward the south. You know, Abraham still had his faults too. We quoted earlier where he stood before uh, the Pharaoh and he had to be rebuked, and now he comes before Abimelech. Now look, and Abraham journeyed from thence toward the south. He goes in the wrong direction again. And dwell between Kadesh and Shur, and sojourn in Gera. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gera, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, thou art but a dead man, for a woman which thou hast taken, uh, for the woman which thou hast taken, she is a man's wife. You know, if God would come down in judgment upon our nation today because of the same sins that men committed in those days, you'd see men and people falling right and left because of adultery and fornication. That's what had happened. It's a good thing this is a day and age of grace, and God will, though, judge. It says, whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. The book of Hebrews in the New Testament. Let's look at this. It says uh, <clears throat> in verse 4, But Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, wilt thou slay also a righteous nation? Said he not unto me, She is my sister? Abraham said, She's my sister. We gave you this in the last lesson. And concerning another uh, situation, exactly almost identical to this same circumstance that Abraham does at this time. In other words, he's up to his old tricks. He still follows the same old uh, pathway, doesn't he? And makes the same mistakes. And she said, uh, and she, even she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and innocency of my hands have I done this. Now look, and God said unto him in a dream, yea, I know that thou didst this this in the integrity of thy heart, for I also withheld thee from sinning against me. Therefore suffered I thee not to touch her. You know, God's sovereign power was in action, wasn't it? He manifested the fact that he could keep uh, 
Abimelech from committing this sin. You know, God is powerful. He can intervene. He intervened in a dream. God appeared to him in a dream. And God says, I'm, uh, therefore I, I uh, kept you from sinning. Verse uh, 7. Now therefore restore the man uh, his wife, for he is a prophet, and he shall pray for thee. If anyone need pray for it, it looked like Abraham needed praying for it, didn't it? <laughs> Maybe the Lord should have turned around and said to Abimelech, I want you to pray for Abraham for him being so sneaky. But he didn't, because God respected his own and the promised one. And he says, If thou restore her not, thou know thou that thou shalt surely die, thou and all that are thine. Therefore Abimelech rose early in the morning, called all his servants, told all these things in their ears, and the men were sore afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said unto him, What hast thou done unto us? And what have I offended thee, that thou hast brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? Thou hast done deeds unto me that ought not to be done. Remember old Pharaoh? He rebuked also Abraham for a similar situation. Back in, we, I think we read it in the 14th chapter, where it was. But anyway, here in the 20th chapter, we find the same thing happening. And he has to receive a rebuke from Abimelech. And he tells him that he's done things. When we receive a rebuke from the world for what we've done wrong, sometimes we deserve it. We said that in our last lesson. We deserve what comes to us if we go out here and do not live as a Christian ought to live and as godly men and women ought to live, and the worldly man rebukes us for our sins and our hypocrisy, we have it coming to us. So let's not complain if we've done wrong. You say, well, that fellow over there, he's mean as all get out and he got on to me because, well, did you deserve it? That's the question. Did we have it coming? And evidently Abraham had it coming. In verse 10 it says, And Abimelech said unto Abraham, What sawest thou that thou hast done this thing? And Abraham said, Because I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place. How do you know it wasn't? We assume that everybody's ungodly just because we come up against people that maybe do not feel like we do and do like we do and act like we do. We feel like the whole world's ungodly and we're the only Christians left. Get that Elijah disease. And he said, I'm the prophet and I'm the only one left. Remember? God said to Elijah, I have yet 7,000 men that have not bowed knee to Baal. So when we get that conceited and self-centered and think that just because we run across people around the country here and there that do not agree with us in every way, that everyone's ungodly, nobody going to heaven but just the chosen few, well, that's, uh, that's uh, off the mark. And so notice in verse uh, uh, 11, Abraham said, Because I thought, Surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will slay me for my wife's sake. And yet, indeed, she is my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. He said the truth about that. And she became my wife. And it came to pass, when God caused me to wander from my father's house, as I said unto her, This is thy kindness which thou shalt show unto me at every place, whither we shall come. Say of me, He is my brother. And Abimelech took sheep and oxen and men servants and women servants. Now look. And gave them to Abraham and restored him. Sarah, his wife. Now, I want you to notice the, the irony and the way that Abimelech says in these next few verses. This is rather comical as well as ironic and the way that uh, they are rebuked. Verse 15, Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before thee. Dwell where it pleaseth thee. And unto Sarah he said, Behold, I have given thy brother. <laughs> 
Behold, I have given thy brother a thousand pieces of silver. Behold, he is to thee a covering of the eyes unto all that are with thee, and with all other. Thus she was reproved. He didn't say, Behold, I have given your husband. He said, Behold, I have given your brother. Thus she was, she was reproved. So Abraham prayed unto God, and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maidservants, and they bare children. For the Lord had fast closed up the wounds of the house of Abimelech, because of Sarah, Abram's wife, Abraham's wife. In verse tw- uh, 1 of chapter 21, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. He always does as he says. And the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. He always keeps his promise. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him, just exactly like God said. And Abraham called the name of, of his son that was born unto him, whom Sarah bare to him, Isaac. Isaac means laughter. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac on the, uh, being eight days old as God had commanded him. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh so that all that hear will laugh with me. And she said, Who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah should have given uh, children suck? For I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. Now remember, by this time Ishmael was about 13 years old or 14. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. This is Ishmael. Wherefore she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. You know, Abraham uh, had... Really, one son that was he's spoken of in the 22nd chapter, thine only son, Isaac. But he had this other one by the bondmaid. And so we find that God only considers Isaac to really be his legitimate son. In fact, in the 22nd chapter, when God tells Abraham to offer up Isaac as a burnt sacrifice, he says, Take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac. So you see what God thinks about the situation. When we stick our hands and start meddling with the situation, we, we do a lot of things that's not approved of the Lord. And that's what Sarah and Abraham did in bringing Ishmael. And we find that it caused trouble. And you know, Abraham was concerned about this. In verse 11, the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. He thought by now he, he had become well attached to Ishmael and he wanted to be good to him. He wanted everything for him. And God said unto Abraham, Let not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad, because of thy bondwoman. In all that Sarah has said unto thee, hearken unto her voice, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. This is one instance when God agrees with Sarah. And he says, Abraham, you're walking according to the flesh. This is what you want. You want Ishmael. In fact, he said in one place, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. And this is what Abraham was concerned about. Isaac and Ishmael are typical of two persons. Or actually, they're typical of the Christian. The Isaac is the son that's born after the promise, or the new birth, or the, the promised one. In other words, it speaks of our spiritual life. And Ishmael speaks of our fleshly life. The flesh comes first, doesn't it? And then the spiritual birth. And so there came a point in time when Abraham had to surrender that fleshly aspect of his life to the spiritual aspect, which would be Isaac. He had to surrender and give up Ishmael to the fact that Isaac representing the the son of promise. 
There's a time in our lives as Christians we have to give up the old fleshly life, the old man and the old life, for sake of the new life. And by the way, both of these are pictured in this. Uh, in verse 13, And also the son of the bondwoman I will make a nation because he is thy seed. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, took bread and a bottle of water, and gave unto Hagar, putting it on her shoulder, and the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water was spent in the bottle, and she cast the child under one of the shrubs. And she went and sat down over against him a good way off, as it were a bow shot. For she said, Let me not see the death of the child. And she sat over against him and lift up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the lad. And the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven, and saith unto her, What aileth thee, Hagar? Fear not, for God hath heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad. And hold him in thine hand, for I will make him a great nation. And God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the bottle with water and gave the lad drink. You know, sometimes there can be the well of water right next to us, and God has to open her eyes to see it. Sometimes the blessing and the refreshment is all there. And the wilderness and the desert and the uh, plain, wherever we are, and we say there's nothing around that's of any value, and God says... Look, do you see this well of water? Do you see I've provided a blessing for you and protection and, uh, and a way to survive? And God was with the lad, and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. And he dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took uh, him a wife out of the land of Egypt. And it came to pass at that time that Abimelech... And we, well, let's just skip that for a moment. He took him a wife out of the land of Egypt. We, we mentioned the other day when we were talking, the other lesson, when we were talking about Ishmael earlier and, and, um, and the promise of Isaac and how that we have the conflict that exists over there today in the Arab nations. And we find that it started way back with where? Abraham and his two sons. started a long time ago. And it's still the conflict still rages, and we still have the fighting and the fuming and the wars and the uh, violence and the struggle for power. But it started a long time ago. I had a fellow in the church one time, and we were talking about all the conflict over between the Arabs and the Jews, and he said, uh, he said, well, they've been doing that for thousands of years, and it was well true, hadn't they? And it'll never be over till the Lord comes and gives us peace on this earth. It'll never be over. Let's go on down and read. It says in verse 24, And Abraham said, I will swear. He made a uh, covenant with Abimelech concerning the well of water and etc. In the 22nd chapter is where we'll have to pick up in our next lesson.